Welcome back. I'm Steve Jackson, and this is Take It to God. The last episode, we kind of talked a little bit about the logo um, for Take It to God and the Hebrew letters that it represented. And um, it was interesting. We talked about that, but then we also talked about um, some of the ancient Hebrew letters and the story that uh, it tells um, and kind of the amazing backstory that Yahweh has in all of that. Again, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, I would really highly recommend uh, downloading the first three episodes. Uh, it's Ministry or Fruit or Foundation. Um, that's part of the topic, but throughout that uh, topic, I also talk about uh, my vision for this particular podcast. And so it uh, kind of gives you an idea of the purpose behind why I feel I'm supposed to do this. Um, first of all, before I get into the topic uh, that I had planned for today, I kind of wanted to discuss something a little bit about my opinion of the Torah. Now, I don't think we're saved by the Torah. I don't believe that. Um, and Yeshua is very clear that uh, we're, not, we're not saved by that. And, and Shaul, Paul, Apostle Paul, is very clear that we're not saved by the law. And the fact is it's a very complicated topic because Paul, even though he says, you know, we're not under the law anymore— still is referencing back to the Torah when he talks about the things you should or shouldn't do. Um, inevitably, he really is getting down to what is the heart behind the law? What is the purpose behind the Torah? And um, we're not under it, meaning we're not under the curse, meaning we don't have to live up to it. There's no way we can possibly live up to it. That's why Yeshua came, is to be under the law and take that curse. And when he died on the cross, he died with that curse. And so now we're free in him. It's only because of him. There's nothing I can do to prove to Yahweh that I should be saved, that I should be redeemed. It's because I've chosen to follow Yeshua and go in his path. Um, and that the, the law or the Torah is then written on our hearts, meaning that as we get closer and we get to know Yahweh more and Yeshua more, we naturally are going to take on those qualities. That's what having the spirit in us is all about. So there's no way that us, just by doing the Torah, will be saved. And that was the problem, and that's what Shaul was really getting into with the Galatians, is he was upset with them because they were trying to do all these things, like circumcision. They, they were starting to get back into that habit, I believe. Um, and so he was reprimanding them, saying, you know, this isn't going to get you anywhere. If you are or you aren't, it doesn't matter. And if you're trying to be saved by the law, you're in big trouble, because that will not be sufficient anymore. You have to follow Yeshua and you have to believe in him and you have to allow the spirit to be in you. And so that's my take on the Torah. I, I enjoy reading the Torah because in reality, when we read it, we should be excited by reading that. We're like, wow, the, the Torah is something we should look at and feel joy from it and look at it and go, wow, you know, the Torah is beautiful. And, and Paul says that. He says it's not an ugly thing. And I hope that no one's thinking that I'm saying that by following the Torah, you are saved through that. Um, and we'll never follow it exactly perfect. That's the point, is that every day we have to work out our salvation with Yeshua and Yahweh. And every day we're going to say, you know what? Here I am. And I know I'm not perfect. But I know that I'm made perfect through you. And so... Whatever you need to add to my life, whatever you need to take away, you know, I'm here. And I think that's the important part. That's why I say take it to Yahweh. 
there's nothing in the Torah that you should not take back to Yahweh and say, how does this apply to me? I personally will never be able to tell you how that applies to you, nor do I even want to try, because that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is present the idea that you need to take everything to Yahweh. And if you do, then you and him build a dialogue. You and him decide what your salvation looks like and what you need to do with everything in life, not just the Torah, but how you function on a day-to-day basis with your fellow man, with your co-workers, with your spouse, with your children, with your parents, everything. Everything should be taken to him. And in that relationship, you're not going to do everything perfect, but that's besides the point. The point is, is that you're developing that relationship with him. And in that, you are growing as a better person. So anyways, I just kind of wanted to throw that out um, to clarify kind of where my stance is on everything. And um, once again, if any of you have comments or questions or anything like that, send them my way. I love to hear them. It, it challenges me. It makes me always analyze where I stand on things. It makes me go back to Yahweh and say, is there something else I need to look at? I need that. I love that. I think it's great. I'm not always going to agree with you, and I might take it to God and, and find out that you know, where I'm headed is correct, and um, I just need to keep on trucking. It doesn't mean everything's going to be different. It just means that it forces one to reevaluate the situation. Um, and I think that's good. I don't think that's bad. I don't think that's questioning Yahweh. I think it's like, you know, Yahweh, people have been saying this. What is your opinion about this? How does this apply to me? Do I run with it? Do I not? And then that builds a dialogue with you and him. That's the point. All right. The title of this particular episode is called A Convenient Truth. And I'm going to discuss um, a book that I recently read called The Coming Insurrection. Um, Now, it was originally a book written by the Invisible Committee. Now, the original title, and I will probably butcher the French, but the original title is L'Insurrection qui vient, which I believe the literal translation would be The Insurgency That Comes, or depending on how you translate it, The Insurgency Is Coming. I personally like The Insurgency Is Coming, um, only because it it tends to have a little bit more force, and that's probably... um, what they were trying to get across is that, you know, this is going to happen. Um, I, I want to give a little bit of detail about this book, and I'm going to pull directly off of Wikipedia, and I think they pulled directly off of um, libcom.com, which is kind of, I believe, give gives brief excerpts on books, and I'm just going to read it. It's much better if I do that. The book is divided into two parts. The first attempts a complete diagnosis of the totality of modern capitalist civilization, moving through what the Invisible Committee identifies as the seven circles of alienation. And those are self, social relations, work, the economy, urbanity, the environment, and to close civilization. Now, the latter part of the book begins to offer prescription for a revolutionary struggle based on the formation of communes or affinity group-style units in an underground network that will build its forces outside of mainstream politics and attack in movements of crisis, political, social, environmental, to push towards anti-capitalist revolution. The insurrection envisioned by the Invisible Committee will revolve around the local appropriation of power by the people, of the physical blocking of the economy, and of the annihilation of police forces. So that's the general concept of this book. 
Now, the reason I, I decided to pick up this book is uh, sometimes I felt led to watch uh, some of Glenn Beck's uh, studying and some of his uh, TV shows, and and he had repeated this book over and over again, and I kind of felt like I needed to uh, pick it up and read it. It's a really short read; it's about 130 pages, and it's a small book at that, um, just in size. So it's it's probably if you were to compare it with a regular size book, it's even shorter than that. Um, I'm going to spend less time on the aspects of what it's trying to communicate in that of the coming insurrection. I mean, we see it all the time in Greece and we see it in uh, Damascus and Syria and all those things like that. We see all this stuff happening and and um, that's all over the news. So we can see that as happening. And I would recommend you pick up the book if you're curious more about what, uh, what this book is saying. But I find it really interesting how the enemy works. And what I mean by that is uh, it kind of ties in with my title, A Convenient Truth. The enemy's not stupid. The enemy knows that we are designed a certain way. We are designed to desire to go after Yahweh. We are designed to crave to be with him and, and to follow in the ways that he has kind of prescribed. Now, at the beginning of the book, kind of like what the summary says, it talks about all these areas of alienation. When I first read the book, um, I was assuming by watching some of uh, Beck's stuff that he was saying, you know, what's in this book is not good. Um, it's showing something that's not good. And as I was reading the first half, I was kind of, I was kind of confused because I was thinking, hmm, all this stuff seems like something he would promote. Um, how the economy is is alienating us. You know, politicians are alienating us. I mean, we are kind of becoming uh, forced to be puppets to some extent. Work environments, you know, there, there's no entrepreneurship anymore. It's all about just fall in line and do what you're told to do. And usually he's one to say, you know, break out and, and be your own person and and you know, try to find things that you're talented at to do and not in a mob style, violent kind of way, but just go out and, you know, be that special person that you're designed to be. And so as, as I read through the book, um, there was a lot of stuff that, you know, kind of connected um, with the mentality that we're, we're kind of being led to slaughter to some extent, you know, and there's nothing in the scriptures that would deny that. I mean, you know, the scriptures are very much like evil will take over and for a time and, and you know, it's it's only at the end when Yahweh comes and saves us and we have to kind of deal with the sin that's around us. And um, so like the first paragraph of the book, it says, from whatever angle you approach it, the present offers no way out. This is not the least of its virtues. From those who seek hope above all, it tears away every firm ground. Those who claim to have solutions are contradicted almost immediately. Everyone agrees that things can only get worse. The future has no future is the wisdom of the age that, for all of its appearances of perfect normalcy, has reached the level of consciousness of the first punks. So when we look around the world, sometimes we just go, ah, everything is just falling apart. And uh, everything looks so disastrous. And so uh, they tie in with probably how we're feeling to some extent. Um... They talk about how freedom is not necessarily the shedding of our connections, but the practical capacity to work on them, to be able to know how to communicate with people, and that freedom is, 
it's being interconnected and knowing how to work through that. At least that's how I interpreted it. Um, and then the phrase like, I am what I am. I mean, we see that on billboards. Um, that's catchphrases for big companies when it's talking about, you know, become your own individual. And the book says this now it's considered a military phrase to break everything that ties being together and just eliminate all of your connections. Be your own person. And that the family structure is falling apart. And to some extent, this is a good thing, according to the book. The family that is coming back is not the same as it was. And we see that all over the place. I mean, we see uh, families that are untraditional and, and um, people who aren't necessarily related in any way, shape, or form coming together and them considering themselves family, uh, connected not by blood, um, but by a similar consciousness. We say that all the time. And it also talks about people just going to work. You know, it says there's something impertinent about existing in a country where a child singing as she pleases is inevitably silenced with a stop, you're going to stir things up. Where scholastic castration unleashes floods of well-mannered employees. And we talk about that too, how everybody's just becoming kind of a machine. We have movies out there all the time that just dictate how we're just kind of taught to fall into line. Don't speak out. Don't go against the grain. Just, you know, just fall in line and do what you're told. And sometimes this is very evident in the church. I mean, depending on what denomination you go to, um, there is no speak out against what you, what you believe God is telling you. It's just do what the pastor or the deacon or the, the pope, for that matter, tells you to do, and that's what you do. There is no connection, inner connection with God. It's just, you know, the higher-ups say to do this, and that's what you do. It also talks about that in our world of instant communication, we are constantly leaving the here and now to get somewhere else, never living in the present. It's a very biblical concept. We're never living in the present. We're always living in the future or we're dealing with the past. We're never just dealing with what's happening now, what's in the present. And you always, always consistently, and Yeshua is always talking about that, you know, live, worry about today. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Worry about today. Stuff that has biblical truth ring to it. Something we connect with because you know what? We're designed to be that way. That's the way Yahweh wanted it to be. Worry about today. Focus on today. Worry about our relationship today. And then it talks about how we just trust in the economy almost blindly. It, even though it's collapsing around us and we are in consistent debt. Just, just trust it. Just keep on going with it. I mean, the logic doesn't necessarily fit. I mean, it's not that we're, we can't partake in the economy. Obviously, we have to just to function day to day. It's such a huge part of our lives. But every part of what we do financially is needs to be taken with God. Like, what do I do with the money that I have, the financial resources that I have? It always goes back to taking it to God. That is the truth. But in reality, it's true. We're just surrounded in debt. We're surrounded in an economy that's crumbling and has crumbled um, multiple times. And that's just the first half of the first half of the book. And as I was reading it, I was kind of going, God, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff here that I would go, yeah, I can... I can see how people can connect with this. Now, they also talk about that uh, it's time to form communes. Now, before we go off and say, oh, we're just talking about the whole David Koresh thing, or is that what you're promoting? It's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is that in Acts chapter 4, and it was verse 31 through 37, okay? And this is where I'm going to start specifically. But that's Acts chapter 4, verse 31, and I'm going to just go all the way to the end of that chapter. 
And when they had prayed, the place where they had come together was shaken, and they were all filled with the set-apart spirit, and they spoke the word of Elohim with boldness. Elohim is uh, the Hebrew word for God. And the group of those who believed were of one heart and one being, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they had all in common. And with the great power, the emissaries gave witness to the resurrection of the master Yeshua, and great favor was upon them all. For there was not anyone in need among them, for all who were possessors of land or houses sold them, and brought the price of what was sold, and laid them at the feet of the emissaries, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Yosef, or Joseph as you would pronounce it in English, who is also called Barnabas, or Barnabas, by the emissaries, which means son of enchantment, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the proceeds and laid it at the feet of the emissaries. So the whole concept of form communes, to some extent, has some ring to it. It was about people believing in a um, movement, people believing in what Yeshua had presented, uh, the Spirit leading them to do such, and selling their possessions and made sure that everybody had what they needed. It was happening in the church in the time. So that whole concept is, you know, very biblical if we want to get technical about it. Now, I'm not saying each of you need to go out and sell your house. Obviously, if, you know, whatever Yahweh wants to do with your finances and your possessions is between you and him. And uh, I'm not here to tell you what to do with that. That's between you and him totally. I'm hoping that everybody believes that your finances and your possessions are Yahweh's and you and God have to decide how they're dispersed. I mean, Yeshua very much said to the, the rich man, you know, sell everything you own and come and follow me. So... You know, we have to look at those things and, and just consider and just ask God, what do, what do you want me to do with my possessions? You know, I don't, I don't think that's all that difficult. Well, it is difficult because inevitably you don't want to hear what the answer is. But, you know, he might say, you know, you're going to become very wealthy. And this is how I want you to uh, use the financial wealth that I've given you. And also in the book, going back to the book, they talk about find each other. And I've always believed that the church per se, like if you're, and let's forget about like a denomination, but let's just say that you have a group of people that you would consider that you are very close to and you would consider them intercessors and people that you pray with. Inevitably, in my opinion, if we're all worshiping Yahweh and we all are seeking after his will, I think the church will naturally form, will naturally be drawn together and will naturally connect because we're like, we have this one thing in common. We all come from different backgrounds. We all have different callings and purposes and giftings. But the one thing we have in common is that we follow Yeshua, that we follow Yahweh, and that is what's connecting us. And I think we're naturally drawn together. I've seen that in my life where of no doing of my own have I started to become connected with people that I wouldn't normally have. And it's been a fulfilling relationship. It's been an interesting relationship. It's been challenging because Yahweh has brought us together in those unique ways. So very much right here what the book says, find each other. And I believe that Yahweh draws us together. So all this stuff in this book is a very convenient truth because it connects with a core thing that each of us have, something that Yahweh sticks in us. And we crave that. We crave these things. We look at the world around us and we see this to be the truth. Then the second half of the book comes. Now the enemy has shown you and connected with you and said, you know what? This is truth. And we do. We feel it inside of us. We go, gosh, there's so much about that. And not everything at the beginning of the book do I agree with. I mean, you can really start 
seeing in that first half how they're really starting to push towards the we're going to get to the rebellion part here in a second. And Yeshua, you know, is very clear and Yahweh is very clear. You know, we've I've put these governmental authorities in place, you know, their mind, whether we agree with them or not, whether we think they're holy or not, you know, they, they have been placed there for a purpose. And so before we start going off and like, well, we need to rebel against our authority figures, is we've got to take them and pray for them and say, God, how do you want me to interact with these people? How, how do you want me to handle this? And in the United States, we get this unique ability to be able to vote one in and vote one out. And even with your vote, I think it's very important to pray about who you should vote for, why you should vote for. I think you'd be shocked as to who Yahweh would say, this is what you need to do. Because if there's a purpose that Yahweh has in store for whoever the leadership is, then if we really desire to do what Yahweh wants, then I think we would be surprised sometimes what he would tell us to do. But that's the whole point, is to build that relationship again. Now, what's really interesting is when we get to the back half of the book. And this is kind of what I was talking about uh, when I said a convenient truth. The enemy has reminded us of all these things and said, look at how wonderful these things are. And we connect with them. We really do connect with them because there's a lot of truthful things in that first half. But it's when we get to the second half, now that the enemy has our emotions captured, that we get to the second half, and this is when it starts to break down. Now, in the back half of the book, you have chapters that say, get organized. That's one of the second to the last chapters. It says, get organized. And one of the subtitles of that chapter is, plunder, cultivate, and fabricate. And the other one is, remove all obstacles one by one. You're kind of like, okay, that's kind of weird, but let's just keep on reading. And then I think it really totally breaks down when you get to the actual last chapter called Insurrection. And all the subtitles are, are it's just amazing. Make the most of every crisis. Sabotage every representative authority. Spread the talk. Abolish general assembly. Block the economy. Liberate territory from police occupation. Depose authorities at a local level. He's already presented a lot of truth here. And so we're reading it and we're, we're connecting with it. We're like, gosh, that just makes sense. And then we get to the back and he starts talking about eliminating authority. And not only that, whenever you have a crisis, whenever there's chaos, make sure to take advantage of it. And see, it's that, it's that part that Yahweh's like and Yeshua were venomly against. And, and I give you the example of the Beatitudes that's listed in Matthew 5, 3 through 12, during the Sermon of the Mount. And it was, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who do search and hunger for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then you have Matthew 16, 25, which says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. So the back half of this book is totally about capitalizing, ironically, on the chaos. Finding those things that are going wrong, and that's when you go and you, and you cause panic. Eliminate police occupation. All these things. 
And so it's just funny because Yahweh is very clear that that's not what he wants to happen, at least from us. Now, do I think Yahweh knows this is all going to happen? I think if anybody reads Revelation and believes that is yet to come would know that this is going to happen. It's part of the process. But how are we as followers of Yeshua and Yahweh supposed to react to these things? How are we supposed to handle it? How are we going to be different? That's the big question. How do we handle it? And I believe right now Yahweh's in a place of preparation for his chosen to get us to a spot where when stuff like this starts to happen, we immediately go to him and go, how do you want me to handle this? And just in general in your life, I would hope you would realize that in the midst of chaos, that's when Yahweh wants you especially to go to him. Not when everything's great. Go to him then too, but especially during chaos because at that moment is when you really need his guidance. Otherwise, we just run off our emotion and our fear, which is never going to get us anywhere except death. And so with that, I, I kind of want to address also the, the, the concept of, of capitalism versus socialism. And I'm not going to really get into the full meaning of it, but I, I want to I delve into we hear a lot of this going back and forth about socialism versus capitalism and you know, the Democrats are all socialists and, you know, and, but the Democrats are mad at the Republicans because they're all capitalist fat cats and, you know, they're just out to rip you off and they're all greedy. And, and so I, I want to delve into that. Like capitalism can cause great greed. I mean, you look at the, you know, the, the late 2000 financial collapse, especially the, the housing market. A lot of that had to do with, I mean, people can say, well, there wasn't enough regulation. Well, if people weren't so greedy then they wouldn't have to have the regulation. There was a lot of that going on. Now, I'm not saying it was the total reason for the collapse, and, I'm, and I don't know all the facts, so I can't say that I'm an expert on what happened. But just, just watching it, I mean, it had to do with greed. People going in, selling people houses at, at rates that they could never repay. I mean, knowing full well that they couldn't repay, and they just took their check that they got for commission and booked it. At the end of the day, they, they were fine. They didn't really care about the person who had to buy the house. So there was a lot of greed involved. And that's a capitalistic society to some extent. Now, socialism would say, you know, if I've done a lot of work and Yahweh has blessed me, that I need to, I'm required to take my wealth and distribute it out and say, well, you know, all these people get a half of it. That inevitably can lead to complacency. Well, I don't have to worry about doing anything because I know, you know, Bob's going to pay my way. And so we become lazy. And there's a lot of verses out there. I mean, especially the one where it talks about the owner who gave out portions of money to each of his servants and said, go do what you need to do. And you had one who went and did things with it and, and came back with, with greater wealth. And then you have the one who decided to bury his treasure and just call it good. He became very complacent and, and the, the owner was not happy at all. It can cause complacency if we're not going to Yahweh. Now, the question is, where is that balance? Now, I don't know that answer when it comes to human terms, but I can tell you spiritually that the answer and the balance is Yahweh. He's the one we have to go to and say, what do I do with my finances? If you are wealthy, I have no doubt that Yahweh will say, to whom much is given, much would be required. And so if we fear Yahweh, we'll go, Yahweh, you know, there's a lot here. So tell me what it is you want me to do with it doesn't mean he's going to have you give everything away. He's just going to say, this is how I want you to distribute what you have. And this is what I want you to keep. And it's more, just the t it's more than just the 10% tithing thing, which I'll probably get into later, my opinion on that whole thing. But it's about, Yahweh, my money is yours. 
Okay. So if you want to look at it, there's, there's a socialistic concept. My money is not mine. It's yours, Yahweh. Except socialists tend to put it on my money is the government's money. But see, my money is Yahweh's money. Now he gets to decide how that's distributed. So if I need to give a bunch to this person and only a few to this person or however, that's between Yahweh and I. He does say give to the poor. So there is that level where he does place the poor on the earth, especially to see if those people who have been given much obey him and do what they're supposed to do. We have tons of widows and orphans. Are we really doing what we're supposed to do? But with capitalism at the same time, without Yahweh in the mix of it, you have an issue where you're like, oh, this is great wealth, and it's mine. Yahweh's like, well, wait a second, but I, I put you in a spot to be able to get that. Yeah, but you see, it's mine, so I'm going to buy myself all these wonderful things, and I'm gonna just going to be amazing. And you know, I might give a little bit, you know, just kind of pamper people, but this is all mine. And I want more. I want more of what I just have. So then you run into greed. So Yahweh began to show me that the human nature is pretty much the law of inertia. An object in motion will tend to stay in motion until acted on by an outside force. So we're heading towards, people tend to head towards capitalism. And then we have a massive problem. So we got smacked. We got hit. So then we start to rotate back to the other side. And then you have socialism. And then you have rebellion. And you have people who are complacent. And then you have people like, I'm not just going to give my money to the government. I'll give it to who I want. And then you hit a wall. And it goes back and forth. We've seen both sides collapse at some point in time. And the problem is, is that in reality, we're not involving Yahweh. So I'm not here to promote capitalism or socialism. I'm not even going to get into that concept. What I am getting into is that no matter where your ideology tends to lie, either way, every thing you do and all of your financial belongings and possessions need to be taken to Yahweh and said, God, what do you want me to do with it? That's the important thing. I don't care what I don't care whether you believe we need to go more towards capitalism or socialism. That's between you and Yahweh. I have my personal beliefs, but they're not an issue. It's not a big deal. The point is, is it doesn't matter what I think. It depends on what Yahweh wants you to do with your money. Period. What I really think should be the case is that we should be more of a pendulum, per se, than just this, you know, flying ball that gets smacked and head. With a pendulum, at least, you have a center connected. You have a string connected to something that's stable. Okay? You have a stability bar, which would be Yahweh. And the times that we kind of start to swing a little bit to the right, if we're listening to Yahweh, we pull back a little bit. And hopefully, inevitably, as we swing back and forth in our relationship with him and everything we do, we start to come down to a spot and place of rest in him until someone pushes us again and we start swinging back and forth. But I think that's the visual that I have is that inevitably with that, you know, you push something and it swings back and forth. But especially on a string, it starts to come to a place of rest at some point in time as gravity pulls it down, as we become grounded and what Yahweh wants us to do. And if we remain attached to that stability, 
which would be Yahweh, we don't go flying off the edge into some other realm. We're always going to kind of go back and forth as we begin to discover Yahweh because Yahweh sometimes has us go a little bit to the extreme on one side and then pulls us back to the other so that we begin to understand where that balance is. I think that's important. I think sometimes he allows us to go a little bit further than necessarily we should be going so that we can understand what the extreme is on this side and then develop and understand what the extreme is on this side and then begin to find that happy medium with him. But it's because we're connected to him that that's happening. Otherwise, if we break that string with Yahweh, we go flying in one direction until we crash and burn. So I think when you look at the current situation that's happening, for me, it, it, it almost becomes a little bit humorous because you're going, gosh, this, is, this just proves that unless you're grounded with Yahweh, unless you're grounded with Yahweh, we just, we have this problem where we, we go all the way to this edge and without, without involving Yahweh in it, we'll crash and burn. And the opposite is also true if you go the opposite way. It's about finding that place of rest with Yahweh and saying, what do you want me to do with what I have? And we're just talking about the economy. I mean, and, and just in general financial stuff, and especially with what's going on with the coming insurrection of this book. You know, all this stuff talks about how we're being crushed by the government and we need to rebel against it. And I think it's interesting because nowhere, obviously, did I hear them say and, and ask Yahweh how to deal with the circumstances you're in. It's all about just rebel, eliminate authority, find chaos, and capitalize on it. And that's not what Yahweh says. But the interesting thing and the purpose of this particular episode is that convenient truth. We see at the beginning, we connect with things with Yahweh. And we connect with things that Yahweh has built in us about that freedom with him. We have that freedom because of Yeshua. We have that freedom. So we're connected with that freedom. But the enemy can take that and then put his own spin on it if we're not taking it back to Yahweh. We're going to be bombarded by this all the time. you know, For the rest of the time while we're on this earth, before Yeshua returns, we're going to have to deal with all of this because the enemy's going to come in and put a little bit of truth in our lives and then try to persuade us with that little bit of truth to go in the wrong direction. It's going to happen. But what you have to do is every step of that way is you have to take it to Yahweh and say, Yahweh, what do I do with this? This is what I'm sensing. What do you want me to do with it? What do you want me to do with it? That's building a communication level with Yahweh so that when it comes to this, when you get to these spots, let's say at the end of this book, you're not going, oh, well, I was connected with the first half, so the second half must be truth. No, what you have to do is you have to take that second half, especially that second half, and take it to Yahweh and go, okay, what is this? Is this truth? Is this something I should go with? Yahweh, what do I do? And like with me, when I first read it, I was like, ah, okay, well, this is obviously the enemy trying to, you know, have you do that. But that's only because I've been trying to communicate with Yahweh on everything that I do. But after that, after I began to battle with what I was going to do for this podcast, when all this other stuff came with the Beatitudes started popping up and all the things like that was because Yahweh, I was open to what Yahweh had to say about it. And he was beginning to show me that what was written in that back half was not how to approach it. But that first half had a lot of ties to what I know spiritually we have and the freedom that we have and that we should have and how how the world is trying to push that down. But how we deal with it is different than what the book said. So 
like I said, this podcast is less about my opinions on which way things should go and what they should do. The purpose of this book is to show you how quickly the enemy can persuade us to go the opposite direction, in a direction that's not of Yahweh, unless we're taking it back to him all the time. And so I think it's a really interesting concept. And that was, what was so interesting about reading this book is I'm like, yeah, I, I, I have a hard time understanding, you know, if Glenn Beck was, was saying that this was bad or this is good. And then when you get to the back half, you're like, oh, now I see. Now I see what's going on. This isn't good. This isn't good. The way that they're approaching it is definitely not Yahweh. It's definitely the enemy. And how we need to approach it is how Yeshua told us to approach it. So this is just all food for thought. Something else you have to take back to Yahweh. Everything I just said, I pray that you take it back to Yeshua and say, Yahweh, what do I do with what was just said on this podcast? I think that's very important because he wants that connection with you. He wants to communicate with you. He wants you to listen and you guys decide how you handle what's coming up, you know, in our future and your future and just in your daily lives. That's the most important thing is that you're always taking it to him. And when you do that, when it comes to this point where there is crisis, you are so comfortable with going to him. That's your natural reaction is to go to him and ask him what you should do that, that you don't have to fear that anymore because you know that Yahweh is going to guide you through it. So anyways, that's the whole point. Like I said, if you have, um, any opinions or any uh, thoughts about this, uh, feel free to email me. Um, my email is s as in Sam, or S as in Steve, S. Jackson Pro, P-R-O, at M-E dot com. So that's S. Jackson Pro at M-E dot com. In my next podcast, I'm probably going to have a, a special guest, a good friend of mine who uh, I believe has been seeing a lot of stuff about how pastors and, and people of leadership in the church are relating uh, to the congregation and the dynamics between the two and what he believes Yahweh is saying about that whole situation. So um, I encourage you to tune in. Um, and like always, just remember, take it to God. Everything I say, take it to Him. And I will see you next week. 